on drums. I'm Batman. Anybody want to see second prize? Second prize is set of steak knives. An ordinary person spends his life avoiding tense situations. Repo man spends his life getting into tense situations. Scotchy, Scotch, Scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. I drink it up! Welcome to the Ass Pocket of Whiskey the podcast. I'm Keith Silva. <laughs> I write about comics and movies for ComicsBulletin.com and the Psycho Drive-In. And this is our pilot episode, so we're hoping to come out somewhere between Cop Rock and Twin Peaks. Think Get a Life, The Tick, or Wonder Falls, or other non-Fox programming. Let me introduce two of my brothers from Other Mothers, which means our dad was a player. From left <laughs> to right on the dial, he hails. From the crawdad and grease light pole capital of the multiverse, you know him as Victor Von Zoom on Twitter. It's Mr. Tom Zimmer. Hello. The sharp dressed man to my right is above us all because he's from Canada. It's the old Canuckle head himself, Mr. Charles Russell. Uh, hello, hello. This is crazy. We're in like three time zones right now, I think, aren't we? It will be four. No, yeah, it will be th- three. Two now. Yeah. We'll be three. Two now. We'll be three. Charles, do you yeah. feel like you're cheating on Owen and George? No, not really. Okay. Owen, cheat- Owen cheats on us every week. So oh, that's true. I think I'm allowed to have a mistress or two. <laughs> and Tom <laughs> is the is the podcast uh, virgin here. We've we've yes. We brought him in. We've and he's him. nervous. So be kind, people. Be kind. <laughs> now, truth be told, true believers, all three of us know Ass Pocket of Whiskey doesn't do dink when it comes to titles besides sounding cool and maybe a little sexy. So here's what we've got lined up. Well, very, very sexy. <laughs> very sexy. Very. Here's what we've got lined up. In a minute, Tom is going to mix us a drink that you can make at home. Charles is going to introduce us to a woman because no one needs another podcast where guys talk about sports, movies, and comics. And I've made everyone make a list of things that they want to talk about because the internet loves lists. The sound of adult ice cubes being dropped into a glass means it's cocktail o'clock. When he's not fixing heads and breaking hearts, you can find Tom amassing one of the most impressive and enviable liquor cabinets in all of Christendom. It's time for Tom Makes a Drink with your host, Tom Zimmer. All right, here we go. Um, I thought for our maiden voyage, I would uh, naturally uh, start off with America's first cocktail. It was invented right here um, in the hot and humid New Orleans. Uh, It's the Sazerac. It's also the official cocktail of New Orleans, so forget about that uh, Pat O'Brien's hurricane crap. Uh, what the, the hell's the – what's the name again? What the, is it? The Pat the, – the, the hurricane. You never heard of oh, a hurricane? Okay. No, but all right. Oh, well, well good because horrible. Um, <laughs> okay. So Sazerac. Yeah. yeah, most people when they come to New Orleans are like, oh, I need to get me a hurricane, and it's just Kool-Aid with more Kool-Aid and sugar, and it's just horrible. The Sazerac uh, was invented here in the early 1800s by Antoine Peixoux, who came – from 
from um, West End, West Indies with his signature bitters, the Peshu bitters, which I think you can probably find in, in any uh, store around the country, around the world. There is um, a bit of debate, though, on as to do you use rye or do you use brandy when making the Sazerac. It, it was originally it, – it was a brandy-based cocktail, but somewhere along the way, it, it, it got switched over to uh, rye whiskey. Now, um, my Bible – uh, that is written by Dale DeGroff. It's, it's the great the great book, The Craft of the Cocktail. Anybody who's interested in making drinks should buy this book. Um, again, Dale DeGroff. Um, his recipe calls for equal parts brandy and rye whiskey. So uh, here's what you'll need. You'll need a half ounce of absinthe or herb saint, two ounces of rye whiskey, two ounces of brandy or cognac, five dashes of pecho bitters, five dashes of Angostura bitters, a half, one ounce of simple syrup, and two lemon peels. Y'all with me? With you. Yep. All right. This is what I do. I, uh, I'll pour the uh, a half ounce of absinthe in, in a rocks glass, and then I'll put the rocks glass in the freezer. I'll do that while I get all my ingredients together and slice the lemon peels. Um, in a separate glass, I'll pour the simple syrup, the rye, the cognac, the dashes of bitters, and stir it with a spoon. Do not shake. Only <laughs> only barbarians and Tom Cruises shake their drinks. It explodes if you shake it, right? It, well, it, 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 the theory is, is that if you, especially if you're doing liquor and just liquor drinks, it bruises the liquor. Ooh. Okay. So I when, didn't when, know liquor could bruise. Yeah, that's a term. Uh, <laughs> unless you're mixing like creams or, or juices, then then you can shake it. But it, yeah, yeah. Naturally, if you, if you use club soda, it will fizz and explode. And, and if you're just doing liquor like we're doing here today, it's it, it just technically bruises. Um, Damn, this is a friggin' education, Christ! I know, seriously. Right, yeah, yeah. School, school's out. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is amateur hour, kids. This is real. Um, so what you do is you, you get you have all these liquor, you, know, you have your concoction in a glass, and you start stirring it with a spoon. Uh, oh yeah, with ice in it, right? Um, and then once your mixture's stirred, you'll you'll take the the the, the uh, rocks glass from the freezer, and then you're going to tilt the rocks glass a little bit and rotate it as to coat the inside of the glass with absinthe. You'll have a you'll have a dash left over. I just toss it um, in the sink. I don't drink it. That's not classy. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then you have so you have the you have the glass there in front of you. I then take one of the lemon peels and I rim the glass. Um, that's for fragrance and also for your lips to taste lemon when it initially touches the glass. Then I pour the uh, the liquor the the mix into the glass, and then I will twist and drop the other second the second lemon peel into the glass, and voila, there there it is. Um, your your sazerac. If you were to describe the flavor, what would it be? Well, I, I mean it, it it's it's interesting. It's it's uh. The, because I use the brandy, it's a little bit sweeter, mm-hmm. and, you, and you're also using simple syrup. I tend to go a little lighter on simple syrup because I don't like a lot of sugar in my drinks. Um, but it's a yes, yeah, it's, it's a whiskey drink, and it's it's a little sweetness. The bitters add a little bite to it, so I, I, I'm also a little liberal with the bitters. Um, it's 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 great. It's it's, it's sounds it's delicious. My favorite drink. Tom, I, I wanted I to ask. I wanted to ask you about the bitters. I'm not a big uh, is it Agostino? Agostino? 
I, I might. I probably mispronounce it. I'm from New Orleans. Okay. Mispronounce everything. Either way, <laughs> I, I, when I make when I make drinks with bitters, if it calls for two dashes, I maybe make a dash. Uh, I don't put a lot in. Does this? Do you need the bitters in this particular drink? Do you need yeah. a lot of them? Well, okay. it's all it's all about taste. If 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 you don't like bitters, mm. don't use less. I would put some. I would put at least a drop. Right. I, I like it. I like uh, it. Spices it up. So I'll put four or five. You know, and I, I mean I'll. I'm pretty liberal with my bitters. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And I think you make another really great point, which is, you know, you've got to like it to taste. So it's just like making any recipe. Don't, don't over salt something. If you don't want it really salty, don't, you know, overdo it. It's, it's, it's a recipe. So treat it as such. Exactly. And I do want to leave just to kind of have a, a connect the dots with our, our guest star tonight. Uh, I, I want to leave us with a little Stephen Sodenheim, uh, who wrote for his musical company. Um, the music, uh, the song was Have I Got a Girl for You. Here's the quote. I love this. She has a weakness for Sazerac sling. Give her even the fruit and she swings. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's trans- Look at this guy. That's a transition in the business. The kid's making connections. I love it. Yeah, I learned from professionals. You transition. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll be right back with a real live woman, but first, it's time to pay the bills. If you're a touring musician or a storm chaser, and you're looking for the lowest prices on the best gear in the Omaha, Council Bluff, metropolitan area, then you need to get your ass into Matt Bomb's World of Boom. At Matt Bomb's World of Boom, located at 666 Beats Boulevard, steps away from the Culet Towers, so you know, legit. You'll find the best prices on Tama, Pearl, and Ludwig anywhere in the Midwest. And if you find a lower price on the item you want, good for you. But know this, traitor to our nation, you'll be taking food off the plate of a hard-working American businessman. So there. That's Matt Bomb's World of Boom, where our prices are insane, but not as insane as our name. Explosion! Thanks to Matt Baum's World of Boom for sponsoring the first half of the Ass Pocket of Whiskey podcast. Now it's time for a segment we're calling either Lady Parts or Where the Women At, whichever is less offensive. Charles, would you introduce our guest star and the real reason that anyone's going to listen to this podcast? Yes, yes, that is very true. And it's probably because she is one of, I don't know how you want to define her, she is one of either the better half the significant other, or the co-host of Comics Therapy, which is another uh, brother podcast of ours um, on many levels, uh, mainly because they're friends, but also because they share our interests. But everyone, this is Andrea Shockling. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, Andrea. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's not say significant other. Well, of the podcast. I know, but the reason right? is that when we first started, there was definitely – a significant amount of time where significant other was a misconception. Oh, okay. So better half is better? Better half is totally better. All what right. about insignificant other? Uh, watch it. Okay. Lesser half? <laughs> are we talking about me or are we talking about Myers? Myers. You, of course. Oh. <laughs> See, there's a problem. Oh. <laughs> All right, so do we have we decided, Andrea? Do you think lady parts is good, or where the lady is at? Where's um, where's your form? your aim is to be as as not less offensive? offensive. Yes, keep, but also funny. Keep 
trying. <laughs> Shit. Lady Park it is. <laughs> no, I think they're both they're both delightful. Yes. I actually sort of appreciate the fact that you haven't decided. Maybe every week you can come up with yet another option and like never yeah, really nail this one down. Every episode you can come up with okay. new uh ridiculous titles that sort of metaphorically communicate that women themselves can't, you know, make decisions. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said no. that. <laughs> Do you have some way to enlighten us? Maybe? On? Whatever you would like. This yeah, I wanted part. to talk about music oh. theater. Oh. Oh, well, there you go. I'm ignorant to that, so bring it on. I'm not sure that it's going to enlighten you, but it is a topic near and dear to my heart. Well, that's kind of what we're going for. So right. we're going for, and it's it's something that I'm spending a lot of time doing at work, and that I have always spent a lot of time doing out of work, and that I feel like people either love it or they hate it. So let's start with: Are you in the loving it camp or the hating it camp? Is it weird that I'm in the middle? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, because You're I, immediately breaking down my entire like basis for presenting this topic, so thanks for that. Well, I think, in, like, here, let's put it this way. Theatrical movies, musicals, no thanks. Okay. Uh, live musicals, sure. Okay. I can handle that. Like, I've been to Les Mis, I've been to Fan of the Opera, I've been to all the, like, um, Shakespearean ones that have been done in the area of the GTA. But, you know, every time, like... I see a movie like Chicago or something, and I want to give it a shot, or Les Mis, and like everyone says how great it is, make them cry. I'm 10 minutes in, and I'm like, oh, I'm so bored. Mm. So I think if it's live, I'm down. If it's you know recorded and put on TV or in a movie, I just, I don't know, I can't buy into it for some reason. I guess the it's not engaging enough when they're not in person. There's a suspension of disbelief that has to happen with characters breaking into song. That yes. Can can be conjured up if you're watching something like really dynamic and awesome live. It might fall flat, especially if the singing is not awesome, like in the movie production of Les Mis. Where yeah, it's Russell Crowe. Just yeah, right. So bad. Oh God! Yeah, first <laughs> time he sung, I was like, I can't watch this. <laughs> it's like, why are you singing? You're first of all bad at it, and second of all, just tell me the story. So I yeah. I accept I accept that clarification for why you're okay. in the all right. Okay, boys. Tom, you go first. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What have you seen? What have you seen live? I, no, I've seen I've seen um Rent. Okay. I've, I've seen the one with the puppets with uh everyone Avenue Q. a little racist. Yeah, yeah Avenue yeah. Q. I saw uh, uh Chicago um Family Opera. Uh, um, waiting for Godot. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kid, just joking. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah, uh, a few other ones. I just can't. I can't remember what, the, what other ones. Uh, Karen, do we see Liz Miz? No, no. This is Zimmer chiming in. I'm pleased that you have seen Avenue Q, Bobby. Lopez oh, I loved it. That, that was all. Awesome. You know what? I, I didn't see, and I was so bummed. Was the um, I, I had the soundtrack, but I didn't see the uh, the one with the um, Book of Mormon. Ah, also by Bobby Lopez. Wait, you've you listened to like the soundtrack of Book of Mormon? But <laughs> yeah, I bought it. I have it. 
So that was one of the other things that I was going to mention. I mean, I was going to ask you guys what you have seen and what you haven't. So keep, you need to weigh in. Okay. And then with the assumption that there were going to be a lot of like heavy hitter classical shows like uh, Phantom and Les Mis and such, I was curious if you had listened to soundtracks before or after, or if that was like a fun thing to do if you're not really into musical theater, because I suspect that you probably listen to it a lot less frequently than, you know, Avi and I do. Okay, so, so you know, confession time. Uh, you backed me into a corner. You hate uh, them. I don't hate them. We can't be friends. It is, well, then we can't be friends. Oh. It is a huge gap in my education. Uh, okay. When it comes to cultural gaps, uh, that's one of the big ones. I recently, as of in the last couple of months, just saw Singing in the Rain, which I absolutely loved. Oh. Um, I saw Wait, it as a live movie. The movie. No, 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 the movie, the okay. movie. Um, I grew up outside of Boston. We didn't have a chance to go to a lot of live theater, especially not musicals. I did go to a bunch of plays as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't seen a lot of it. I have a very funny story about Les Mis, which is I was reading the book because I'm one of those nerds who thinks they have to read the book before they see the movie or, or whatever. Or see the musical. Or see the musical. That's right. Wow. So okay. I was about 800 pages into what is like a 1600, 1800 page novel. Yes. And the class that I was in, the teacher was talking about Les Mis and she says, spoiler for Les Mis. Well, as you know, Javier dies and I, or Jean Valjean dies. And I was like, what? He dies? And then that was it. I still have my copy of Les Mis. It's the gray one with Cosette on the front cover mm-hmm. with, I think, a Pink Floyd uh, you know, uh, insert from a cassette. Like that was my bookmark still in the nice. place where I left it um, because it was ruined for me. So right. it's a huge gap in my knowledge. I don't necessarily seek them out, mm-hmm. but what I find really interesting about the culture that we live in is we sort of push musical theater off to the side, yes, but we, we embrace any uh, children, you know, any cartoon, any animation with songs in it. Which Gosh, is very I wonder why I was bringing this up. That's what we call a transition. <laughs> no, because we have talked, Heath and I have talked about Frozen before, and I think like the entire universe at this point has talked about Frozen. And Bobby it. Lopez, I'm so pleased that you mentioned Avenue Q, Tommy, because Bobby Lopez wrote the music for Frozen as well. And the reason why I think it's been so successful is that it has like an inherent musical theatricality to the way that the songs are presented. It's mm-hmm. not the way that a lot of other animated films have handled songs before. It's like so much more a part of the story and the songs themselves are kind of delightful and a lot like any other musical theater song, which is obvious. And also uh, in musical theater, the songs tell part of the story, whereas right. in animated movies, a lot of times they're going to sing a song as opposed yep. to continue the story. Yeah. So so I think that I think I hope I hope that the things that are happening with uh, Frozen and kind of the more recent interest in movie versions of musicals, although I agree that they're less often less successful for like a whole host of reasons. And I'd much rather see something live. Um, But I I hope that that's like baby steps towards, I don't want to say that there's like a stigma with musical theater. I'm not trying to present it as some sort of, uh, I don't know, cause that we all have to pick up and, and fight for, but, but it is 
kind of marginalized in a pop culture kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was going to make some recommendations for things that might be outside of your wheelhouse if you're Excellent. interested. Yeah, please do. So my favorite musical ever in the history of all musicals is called Falsettos. It's been hot, also very sweet, and I'm not usually indiscreet, but when he sparkles, the earth begins to sway. It's by James Lapine and William Finn. And it contains the music from March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land, which are two one acts. And then they're like smushed together. And then there's actually often another song from another story that they wrote called In Trousers that's performed with that as well. In Trousers? That sounds racy. uh, Well, honestly, there's a little bit of that in this story. It's the story of... uh, of a man named Marvin who leaves his wife to be with a man. And then she ultimately ends up with Marvin's psychiatrist. And they have a son, Jason, who at the start is going through his uh, bar mitzvah, or actually he's leading up to it. And then his bar mitzvah is in the second act. Uh, But one of the things that's so striking about it is that they were written at two separate times. So in the first act, it's really about the relationships. And then years later, the creators realized that things had happened within the gay community that needed to be addressed with this family. And in the second act of Falsettos, in March of the Falsettos, uh, Wizard gets sick. And it's never explicitly stated, but it's obvious that, you know, he has AIDS and then he dies. Mm-hmm. And it's this incredibly poignant story with this can I swear? It's hard for me of not course. to. Of course. amazing music. Um, there's there's a, a song <laughs> that um, that Marvin sings called What More Can I Say that has this key change that no matter how many times I listen to it, like I still get goosebumps. It's just so fucking amazing. Wow. So m- musicals like that that make you think, that tell you a story, are, for me, it's the same reason why I gravitate towards that kind of comic book. Hmm. It's not like phantom it's not like lame is it's a it's more sophisticated and the music is incredible so check out falsettos and then the other one that i wanted to mention is next to normal which i've talked about before and it has one of my favorite songs ever in it um called superboy and the invisible girl superboy and the invisible girl son of steel and daughter of air he's a hero a lover a prince She's not there. Next to Normal is a story about mental illness. And there's a huge reveal that I'm not going to give away. But uh, if you ever have the chance, I think it's still touring, whereas Falsettos is kind of rarely touring, but is occasionally produced regionally. Uh, But if you ever get the chance to see Next to Normal, the thing that's unusual about that, and goes back to what Keith said, the music is the story. It's much more operatic than like a traditional musical. There's very little spoken word. Uh, everything is presented through song. And see, I think those work for me better because you're not 
like almost anticipating them to just break in a song at any moment. Right. Like it's a musical from start to finish, so you kind of immerse yourself in it when instead you're like, instead of waiting in between each dialogue, like, okay, is this when they're getting the song? Is this? And it kind of, I don't know, I feel like it almost takes you out in some yeah. like instances. So That's what I yeah. mean about the suspension of disbelief, especially when you're watching it on, on film. You're like, okay, now here's where they're going to stop and sing. And Yeah. Oh, here comes the music. Here, yeah. Oh, they're dancing. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> Uh, Next to Normal is by Brian Yorkie and Tom Kitt, uh, and it's 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 pretty epic. It is definitely not kid friendly. Uh, on the kid oh, friendly end, <laughs> I just want to mention Newsies because it was the first show I took Avi to New York to see, and it's amazing. And it's a Disney live musical that's a uh, adaptation of a Disney movie that was also a musical starring Christian Bale, who should not have been allowed to That's sing. Right. That's right. Uh, but that is uh, kind <laughs> of an amazing like um, showstopper in the traditional sense. Nothing mm-hmm. truly innovative, in, innovative except the set is amazing. Uh, but it's just a really great family show. And just in case there's anyone who uh, isn't, is listening to this podcast who doesn't know, Avi is your son. Oh, right. <laughs> right. I talk about him all the time, but I Sorry. don't really give any context anymore. <laughs> He's going to be nine. Oh, so wow. there you go. He's going to be in fourth grade. Wow. Whoa. Hey, Andrew, can I ask you a question back about musicals real quick? Yeah. So I, as if, you can tell, Tommy, I can talk about musicals for too long. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> that's great. That's great. If If you live in a town that doesn't have, uh, you know, touring theater groups coming through or whatnot. Not, uh, do these two musicals translate good if you're just listening to it or you're just experiencing it on, on CD or Oh, that's MP3? a really good question. Next to Normal definitely does because uh-huh. you, you're you not missing a ton of the story. Although, I'll be uh-huh. honest, the music is is like not – because it's the story of a woman struggling with bipolar disorder, it, the music is not always pretty. And okay. so – I can't always put on next to normal and just like jam to it. Like I have to listen to it because I want to, but, but you won't miss out on, um, yeah, you won't miss out on a lot of the story. Falsettos is much more melodic and like really quite lovely. And, uh, is sometimes it's hard to find for a while. It was available as falsettos, but the first act is, March of the False. I'm sorry. The first, yeah, first act is March of the Falsettos. The second act is Falsetto Land, and those are both available. Um, Next to Normal is much more contemporary. It was uh, it it was produced in 2009 originally. Okay. And Andrea, I was going to ask, uh, what about mainstream? If is there a mainstream? Is there a film that you feel musical translates too hmm. well, done well? Um, I'm a huge fan of Moulin Rouge, which is, of course, not a traditional okay. musical, right. but I think that's one of the reasons why I feel like it does work, because it's taking the genre and turning it upside down and using contemporary music in a story uh, to give context, much the way that like original music would have been written for for like a musical theater piece. Right. I'm trying to think if there's a an actual film version of a musical that is awesome. The one that I'm came excited to my- about Into the Woods, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. though 
I know now that they're changing it, which should be blasphemy. I I am willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, and I think the casting is really exciting. And it's one of my favorite musicals ever. So In, Into the Woods is a Sondheim musical. It is. Okay. Who's it's, cast? Oh, Who's in it? you know, uh, Anna Kendrick is playing Cinderella. Okay. Um, and she's, she's great. She's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Johnny Depp is the wolf. Oh, and wow. um, who else? Uh, Johnny Depp's uh, Sweeney Todd. I don't. I don't hate that. By the way, the movie. I actually movie. really like that movie. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's a that one can be kind of polarizing, and not not everybody is as uh, forgiving with the way that some of the music was handled. Um, but let's see. The rest of the cast for Into the Woods. Oh, Mer- uh, Meryl Streep is the witch. And oh, fuck. Meryl Streep. There you go. Yeah. Oscar winner. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I was going to say, Andrea, is it's not musical theater specifically, but Mike Lee's Topsy Turvy, which is about Gilbert and Sullivan and how they made the Mikado. Uh, yes. Excellent, excellent movie. You used oh, to not be yeah. able to get it, but it's out on Criterion uh, Edition yeah. now, and it's beautiful. It's a slog. It's, it's, it's a long movie, but... If you like Mike Lee movies, um, but even if you like that era, the Victorian era, um, it's an excellent, excellent movie. It is. Man, I haven't seen that in ages. That's a great, great movie. Good call, Keith. Thank you. Hey, what about Everyone Say I Love You? I have not seen that. Oh. It's it's another example, though, of contemporary music, right? There's nothing, no original songs in there? Uh, Or are they? No, it's 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 all sta- a lot of standards. Right, right. right. So okay, so that's the yeah, same yeah. with with Moulin Rouge, where it's yeah, contemporary music that like pop music that is applied to the story. Um, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Everyone says I love you. It's like standards, like old. It's a Woody Allen movie. It's Woody Allen, right? Uh-huh. right. Yeah. Well, thanks, Andrea. That's excellent. You have educated uh, us uh, bros <laughs> in uh, musical theater. Yeah. We're um, cultured. We're cultured. Um, We'll be right back with some silly lists right after this. Have you gone from a comic book collector to a comic book hoarder? Do you have long boxes full of number ones, unread crossovers, and that one comic you buy because everybody talks about it, but you've never really been into horns? Sure, you could sell them on eBay. You might even make enough to buy that pop vinyl figure of Father Bowen that you've had your eye on. Or you could send those somewhat worthless floppies to Myers Home for Wayward Comics. At Myers Home for Wayward Comics, your unused and unwanted comics will be taken care of by our friendly staff. All comics are bagged and boarded and kept in climate-controlled comfort, like they were meant to be treated. At Myers Home for Wayward Comics, our slogan is every comic book is someone's first until you have buyer's remorse and send it to us. That's Myers home for wayward comics because you don't have enough room for all the shit in your house. (laughs) As we round the third corner, it's time to make this podcast a podcast, which means lists of things that we think you should like. And Charles, you're going to get us started off. So Charles, Jules Remit trophy-wise, that's a World Cup reference there, what is your top three? Uh, my top three is, you know, very present in what's happening in the world today is the World Cup in Brazil of 2014. Uh, I have World Cup fever. 
Um, I doubt any of you guys do because you live in America. But um, <laughs> Thing. <laughs> unless you're soccer fans, which, you know, that's very few and far between, it seems, in North America in general. So uh, I just wanted to know, like, have a general conversation about you guys and how you feel about the World Cup. If you have World Cup fever because America is involved, because I think that's the only way that most Americans will have interest in it. <laughs> um, and, you know, unless I just you have a nine-year-old. Yes, or oh, nine-year-old. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Let's start with uh, Andrea. Are you watching the World Cup? Do you have World Cup fever? I do not have World Cup fever, but the World Cup has been on in my house all of the days. Yes. So because your, I have your a son likes, and he likes soccer. So. Mm-hmm. He does. He That's likes so you, any and, kind of sports at this point. And you haven't yeah. been caught up in all the drama and how like some of the underdog teams are coming out of their groups and. This tournament is averaging three goals per game, which is pretty high for a World Cup. None of this has grabbed you. Uh, do, do you want me to lie? No. <laughs> no, no, none of this has okay. grabbed me. I've, I've been vaguely aware of it. I'm not against it. No. <laughs> but well, that's good. I, I'm, not, I'm not following it religiously. Sorry. What about you guys? Keith? Me? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to be a total bandwagon person here and say... I enjoy the World Cup every four years. Um, yep. I enjoy the World Cup for if no other reason than Portugal, which is uh, I am Portuguese, so that is my my native land, I guess. And uh, Portugal is represented by Cristiano Ronaldo, who uh, yeah. <laughs> I just learned today is like a villain in soccer. I didn't even know this, but he is. Well, he's only he's only a villain because he's good and handsome. And handsome. Did you say that? Portuguese I did. men are yeah. handsome? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, like, Bro. as a specimen of masculinity, Cristiano Ronaldo is just, oh, my God. I just, I, he's amazing. Just, just to be clear, it's, it's Cristiano. Cristiano, okay. Ronaldo, yeah. Okay, but Ronaldo, that's what you call him. Um, so yeah. he's gorgeous, so I'm in it for, for the gorgeousness. Male yeah. gorgeousness, that's why I watch soccer. Um, and the other reason, the, the one thing I think is unfair is that, in America, everything is about football. Sorry, Tom. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's really unfair that we try to compare soccer to football because they are not the same. And I think cultural, the cultural right. things about them make us think that they are, like the fact that the rest of the world calls football football. So yeah. I'm into it as a total bandwagon person and because I like fellow good-looking Portuguese men. Well, I mean, you're the majority of North Americans, like, to be perfectly honest, like, outside MLS MLS fans, which aren't that many in comparison to the population of North America, mm-hmm. um, most people are fair-weather fans going, you know, their birthright nation is involved, then they automatically become, like, the biggest supporter of their country, you know, like, um, you know, they don't watch soccer ever, but when, you know, they're Portugal, because their parents are from Portugal are involved, they're like, okay, I'm going to back Portugal, and then, um, you know... The Americans, which, you know, I all the respect to them for making the World Cup, um, suddenly become like the biggest soccer fans on the planet because <laughs> their team is involved um, and think that they're going to win the World Cup, even though realistically, you know, I do think they can get out of the group. But in the grand scheme of things, like winning the World Cup, I think is pretty high expectations for the States. And it's not because they don't have a talent pool. They do. But they're just not there yet. You know, it's going to be years before they become to the quality of like Germany and Netherlands and stuff. Um but, you know, I I respect the America's passion of sports, and I think that, you know, the rest of the world kind of, like, turns their nose at them because they think they're the best at everything, and realistically, I think you guys have that attitude because, for the most part, 
you are. <laughs> um, but when it comes to soccer, you are a very small powerhouse in the <laughs> world of soccer. Um, and, you know, I, as a Canadian whose team isn't even good enough to make the World Cup, um, you know, am always, you know, talking out of my ass because I don't have, I have no team to back except for where my parents are from, which is England. And I've followed soccer my whole life. So I am a soccer fan. And then when the World Cup comes around, it's like, I always cheer for England, but I am always, you know, realistic and know that they basically have no shot because they're never very good. They're always good enough to make the World Cup and potentially get out of the group, but much past that, uh, any realistic soccer fan will tell you that England is not a very good team globally. Um, They do generate good players, but as a team, for some reason, the World Cup just don't ever do very well. Um, And then the best part about being sort of the outsider – um, is that I'm able to, you know, back other teams that other countries that, you know, other people don't, you know, like now I'm cheering for the underdogs. Now that England is out, I'm all for the States, like making out of the group. I'm all for Mexico making out of the group. I'm all for Costa Rica and Ecuador and these teams that like have not won a lot in the world stage. And I would love to see them take out teams like France and Germany and, you know, Portugal and that, because that's what makes the World Cup great. And that's what makes soccer great in my eyes is that, on any given day, anyone can win. You know, people complain that, oh, there's not enough scoring. But to me, that's what makes it so awesome, is that if a team plays smart and they can squeeze in that late goal in the 80th minute, they can take out a Germany. They can take out a Netherlands because it's always just one play that kind of tend to finds the match. And I think that's what makes it so great. It's not like basketball or hockey or even football to a lesser extent that, you know, you can just outscore the other team. You can't really do that in soccer. You can in some instances, but for the most part, it's like decided by one goal, and it's usually a mistake by the other team or some ridiculous play by one player that can change the outcome of everything, and I think that's what makes it so interesting to me, and I'm shocked that most of North America hasn't kind of grabbed onto that because the rest of the world is, and it's just weird that we are left out. What about the guy on the podcast that has season tickets to an NFL team? Tom, do you like soccer? <laughs> I, I, um, I am not allowed to watch any other sport in the house um, <laughs> other than football. My, my wife hates, hates sports. She hates what I become when I watch sports. So uh, I am uh, – I am, what I, about I, when your What about when your country's involved? Like you're not going to tune in tomorrow when Portugal plays the states. I'm not a real big fan of America. I'm not really. <laughs> I don't really care about that. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what about the Olympics? Um, it's pretty. Sometimes it's cool looking. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't really watch it. I, I really can't. She really hates it. Like she. Gives me so much grief if I try to put on basketball. She goes, oh, listen to the, the, the sneaker squeaking on the court. That's horrible. <laughs> and you know, you know, and so I, and, and, I, and I'm so obsessive, as you probably could have guessed, um, that I, I can't just casually watch something. You know, once I'm in, I'm like all in, and it gets obsessive and crazy. Yes, I think that's a great <laughs> point because I think for me, the thing I like in the World Cup too is March Madness, and I don't care a wit about college basketball, but when the tournament starts up, I like to watch the tournament, but then when it's over or when the first couple of rounds are over, I'm usually out. So I I feel the world cup is the same way that if you are too passionate, 
then, you know, maybe that doesn't work. But if you're just, uh, you know, casual, I think it works. Well, and it's also based on how the tournament is run, too. It's like a, almost like a one and done. Like the NCAA is even more dramatic. Like if you lose, you're pretty much – you are out. Right. Whereas the World Cup is like you have to win a certain amount of games in your first four in order to qualify for the next round, which then turns into the March Madness, which is your one and done. Like right. if you don't win, you're out. And I think that's why the elimination factor of the tournament is what makes it so great. Um, and then, you know, everyone thinks that the World Cup has the best players from around the world playing, and they do. But um, in the grand scheme of things, in my personal opinion, the Champions League is a much better sort of platform for the best players because you have the best players from all over the world playing on the same team. You know, like mm -hmm. you have, you know, different players from different countries all playing for Manchester United or Real Madrid or whatever. And that's where you get the best soccer because those clubs have gone out and handpicked the best players from all the countries that they can afford to play on their club team. Mm -hmm. And I think that soccer, soccer-wise, is better. Um, for the world stage, the World Cup is better just because it's, you know, everyone gets behind their country. And that's where the passion comes from. Um, but as a, you know, if, you know, anyone out there who's never really given the World Cup a try and wants to see some top quality soccer, I would recommend try starting with the Champions League because I think as, you know, as the quality of soccer goes, that is the best. Um, but if you like supporting your country, then the world, there's nothing better than the World Cup. It's like the Olympics of soccer in a way. So. So musical theater and soccer. Wow, this is the podcast of, uh, of, of broadcasting. Of broadcasting. Mass yeah. communication. You got it. Charles, what's your, what's your second? My second one is, um, you know, it's another one of my passions outside of comics and sports is television. And, um, you know, most people think, I mean, it's changing now um, in our modern times that, you know, when the summer hits, like years ago, there just used to be no TV on. It was all reruns. But now... Um, the summer has become a way for networks to bring um, to life new shows and to, you know, get more eyes on their networks that normally wouldn't be in the summer because, you know, PVRs and stuff allow these networks to uh, air shows during the summer and not worry about viewership. Um, and then there's two, you know, obviously pay channels like HBO, Cinemax, and the Movie Network Um you know, use the whole year's calendar to bring out new shows. And there's two shows in particular this summer um, that I'm really excited for, and I just wanted to hear what you guys' thoughts are. They've only been trailers released. Um, the first one is called The Leftovers, which is uh, co-created by Damon Lindelof, who is one of the creators of Lost, and Tom Peralta, who, uh, Parada, um, who I'm not familiar with, but it's an HBO show, and it's basically the rapture happens. So, you know, I think it's 4% of the world's population is taken away, including old people, babies, you know, grown-ups, children, all all facets of life, take stripped from the earth, and it's a, focusing on those people left. So many of our loved ones were lost three years ago. We still wonder where they went and why. Some bad shit's coming and there's no getting around it. Grace period's over. It looks super dramatic, super intense, and it's got a pretty good cast, and I'm, like, really pumped to see it. I just wanted to see what you guys' thoughts are on it. I grew up with some friends who tried to save me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I was, like, in third grade, we watched a movie that was not a fictionalized account of the rapture. It was what was going to happen. And it scared me so much. <laughs> and since then, 
I haven't really seen a lot of uh, more fictional <laughs> takes on this particular phenomenon. Uh, I think it sounds really interesting, and I have more recently been very accepting of I'm not going to call this post-apocalyptic, but, you know, it kind of is related to what happens when a huge event affects all of humanity and then what, right? Like that as the basic premise or that Mm -hmm. as a wide Yeah, this is focusing on uh, one suburban community um, in the States um, after everyone's taken. So it's how it affects that. Right. And I think that's great. That's a more recent, uh, I guess, discovery for me in terms of like setup of storytelling that I appreciate. So what, what is it? Is it a network show or is it it's HB- HBO? Oh yeah. Well then I'm totally in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm in. Uh, Tommy, what do you think? I'm loving it. Uh, um, I, I, I love the uh, rapture stuff. Um, I, I, I was, I had friends and family members, you know, who were really into it when I was younger. I mean, growing up in the South, you either, um, love God or you hate him, but he exists somewhere. Um, <laughs> and so, um, I, I, I don't uh, like musicals. Yeah. <laughs> see, the, see the connections again. Um, the, uh, and soccer. I, 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 yeah. And soccer. Um, it's nonsense, but, um, I, I'm, I think that's, that's fiction goes, it should be fun. Yeah. And I mean, Damon Lindelof, you know, love him or hate him. Like I, I'm a huge fan of lost and, you know, I do admit that the see the finale, the last season had its problems, but I still think as a whole, the show was phenomenal and changed TV as we know it. Um, and anyone who wants to argue with me that I'm all for it. Um, and, you know, I don't know much about Tom Parada, but I know he's attached to other stuff and, you know, he's, you know, he's a big name in the industry. So I think these two guys working together, um, for an HBO show, uh, nothing but goodness can come out of it. So I'm pretty pumped. And the cast is really good. I can't remember their names at the top of my head, but they're all recognizable and, you know, quite dramatic and good. So I think um, Justin Tarot's in it, maybe? Yes, yes, that's the one. He's the main thread. But there's other guys, too, that I, you know, I looked familiar, but I can't really remember who they are. But Tar- Keith, what, we haven't heard your thoughts. Yeah, I'll lean in uh, very quickly. Um, Tom Parada wrote a great book called Little Children. It was made into that's a it. movie, yes, which, wasn't, which right. was pretty good uh, yeah. as well. The book is excellent. The book is uh, better than the movie, maybe. Um, but anyhow, that's, that's neither that's neither here nor there. The one thing I'm interested about Damon Lindelof for is what's his second act? Is he going to grow and is he going to change? Did he learn from the mistakes of Lost? Because love it, hate it, not love it, not hate it. Um, Lost had problems. There were things that did not work in Lost. Did he learn from that? And is he going to be that kind of TV person, maybe like an Aaron Sorkin, or was lost his thing? Is he going to be more of an M. Night Shyamalan where he had a really good idea, it had problems, but he shows promise? So for me, moving forward, having Parada attached to it is good, um, but I think this next thing is sort of which Damon Lindelof is going to show up. You know, it's well, kind I of, think, it's a lot yeah. like in, in sports. It's like, you know, if somebody has a big rookie season, okay, is this guy the real deal or are they going to figure him out? Yeah, I think uh, the problem with Lost is that they planned it to be a two-season show. Um, and then the network said that they wanted to milk it for all it's worth. And so they had an ending in mind and they had to basically expand it into a six-season six show. And then there was the writer strike halfway through season two, which I think threw everything into the mix and it really hurt the show that way. Um, and then 
they signed a deal to do four more seasons, which I think at the time they were like, yeah, we can really milk this thing. But I think they kind of run out of ideas. Mm. Um, and even though the ending, I think, was what they intended, it was all the building blocks that led up to it that was that led to the confusion and the you know people sort of dropping out. I, um, I, but I, I think I've revisited it um, since it aired, and I think as a whole, the TV just changed the way television was made. And love it or hate it, network TV has not been the same since. And shows like Breaking Bad and Boardwalk Empire, and even to lesser extent, even you know, some other HBO shows have followed their mold. And yeah, I think they also introduced things like flashbacks and, and, and flash sideways and, you know, editing things backwards or in reverse and, you know, taking things that were done in cinema and transfer, transferring them over to TV, I don't think had been done before. And I think, mm-hmm. I really think that Lost changed the way TV was made, you know, you know, for the, for the better in some cases, in most cases, I think, and then for the worse in others, because, you know, there's just shows that just fail because they're trying to be the next loss instead of carving their own path. Mm. Um, but I think as a whole, he's great. And I think this show is going to be maybe not for everybody because of the subject matter, but I don't think the writing or the execution will be the problem. I think it's going to be the subject matter because this show, I know for a fact has a beginning and an end. They, they know how many seasons is going to be, and it all depends on the success of the first season. So unlike lost where they selected it to be two seasons and then it was so popular that they had to milk it for all it was worth. This one has an end in mind and it'll only make it there if it's popular. So yeah. Anyway. So you had a second one, Charles. Yes. Uh, hopefully we'll talk. Well, this one is long. This one is called <laughs> the Nick and it's a Cinemax show. Um, it's directed by the entire first season is directed by Steven Soderbergh, which is really cool. Wow. It's starring Clive Owen. Local boy. Um, and he is basically going to be the character of Dr. John <laughs> W. Thackeray. I think I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is basically um, one of the doctors or one of the um, main doctors in the story that is looking at the New York's Knickerbocker Hospital during the early part of the 20th century when um, medicine, like medi- medicine basically took a huge leap forward because of this group of doctors in the Knickerbocker Hospital in that time frame. We live in a time of endless possibility. More has been learned about the treatment of the human body in the last five years than was learned in the previous 500. And then the sort of interesting catch on it is Clive Owen's character is also a functioning um, addict of cocaine. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's they're going to be very dramatic. It's going to be quite gruesome, I'm sure, because it's dealing with, you know, pretty messed up surgeries and stuff and them experimenting with the human body. Um, and then there's also that extra added flavor of him being addicted to coke at the time. So... Mm. Um, I think it being directed by Soderbergh is pretty awesome. Clive Owen is a fantastic actor, which I think has just made some bad choices in his career. But I think he's great as a whole, and I think this is going to be another show that's going to kind of surprise people. Um, excited? Not excited? I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The thing is, it's on Cinemax here, so I'll probably have to wait till it comes on uh, Netflix or Blu-ray or something. I think if you've got a guy like Soderbergh, and he can sometimes be hit or miss, uh, he's a lot more hit lately uh, than he was. But if he's working in a style and he can be very stylized, which a period piece has to be, I think it'll be very good. And look, this is where these guys are going now. Um, They're getting these chance to tell longer form stories. So and Soderbergh seems like he would fit that mold very well. I think he'll do well. How many episodes is the first season? Do anybody know? Um, I believe it's eight. Okay. But I could be wrong. I know it's a shortened season. It might be twelve. I'm really but... digging this like eight 
episode. Yeah. Well, they're they're adapting the mold of the European style. Like that's like all the TV shows in Europe are always six to eight episodes, and that's it. And then if it takes off, then they do another season. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like that North America is adapting that play because you know they always wanted to milk it, do a twenty-four episode season, and you know do it over the whole like year or whatever. Um, But then you end up having episodes that are just filler, and it doesn't work when you do it in a more isolated storytelling thing. Then you can really kind of hammer home character development and get the point across within eight episodes, and they're all sort of impactful as opposed to having one or two or even ten episodes (laughs) that are just filler, you know? So, yeah, I think it works better, and I'm glad that North America has finally been like, hey, maybe this is the way to go because then we can have two shows in a season instead of just one. Right. Charles, you want to give us your number one? My number one? Your number one. Yeah, I don't know if this is definitely my number one. I didn't realize we were doing an order of uh, suspension order here, but – my last thing I wanted to talk about was just that before I had my son, which was three years ago, I was a huge gamer, and mm. I would play video games at least you know six to eight hours a week, if not more. Um, and then my son was born, and I stopped playing, like literally stopped <laughs> playing. I, I haven't played; I barely touched my PlayStation in three years. Um, but recently, the PlayStation released this thing called PlayStation TV, um, and it's something that you can connect to your PlayStation Four. And it works essentially like Apple TV or the Amazon TV box, and you can stream Netflix on it, and you know you can have stuff, you can have it connect to your computer and stream stuff to it from to your TV from your computer. It's basically like having, you know, like a smartphone or a computer attached to your TV that you can like stream stuff to. But on top of that, you can connect it to your PS4 and have it in another room, and you can basically stream games from your console to another TV. So if you know, in your situation like me, where my son wants to watch Netflix or my wife wants to watch TV and I want to play video games, I can now have Apple PlayStation TV up in the other room, turn on my PlayStation 4, and then stream the game from the console to another TV. So it's basically essentially having two consoles for the price of 100 bucks added on to your PlayStation 4. Um, it also allows you to access a whole bunch of back library games that from the PlayStation 1, 2, and 3 which is one of the big problems with the new consoles is that you can't like play some of your older games, but now you'll be able to do that through um, PlayStation TV and the PlayStation four. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's just the add-ons too, I'm sure, which are other apps and stuff that they will develop over time, but this is being released at the end of this year. I believe it's going to come in the fall. Um, so yeah, I'm sort of leaning back into thinking about buying a PlayStation four specifically because I want to get back into gaming, but also because this added PlayStation TV, it just sounds really cool to me. So, That's rad. Yeah. Very Charles very the cool. gamer. I didn't know Charles was a gamer. Well, it's because <laughs> the time that you've known me, I haven't. <laughs> he hasn't been for a while. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. Uh, Tom, do you want to show us some of that Southern gentility we're already hearing about and give us uh, what you what uh, your three topics are? This is what they're going to be. Ice cubes, Micronauts, and uh, crew of Chewbacca's. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. Still broadcasting. I feel here, like folks. I feel like mine were very boring. <laughs> no, no. This is this. Uh, so here's the thing about Ice Cube. It's it's one of the things that I um. It's a passion of mine. Um, um you know when when you go into bars or when you just usually make drinks at your house, you're using um like those little small ice cubes, and in bars they're even worse. They have ice cubes with like dimples in them. So they, yeah. they melt real easy and dilute your drink real quick, which is the intention. Um, so uh, what, what I like to do is um, make 
these two by two inch by two inch like blocks of ice are spherical um, ice cubes, and you can buy these um, these these trays on Amazon. They're, they're pretty cheap, and it's, it's just worth the investment. Um, and um, basically, you know, you, you, I use distilled water. I, I keep my my freezer on the lowest like the warmest temperature because the the warmer the temperature in your freezer, the more clear your cube will be. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, um, you know, and, and uh, I, I just think it's – because otherwise the, the regular ice cubes you're getting are just, just diluting your drink, and, and, and you're getting more, uh, as W.C. Fields would say, uh, uh, fish urine. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I don't like fish urine, and I like, I like my drinks not to be diluted. So there's well, my then why not cube. why not whiskey stones? Yeah, not, they don't make the drink cold enough. Uh, I, I, I have them. I, I, they're in my freezer. I just don't use them. You know, maybe because it's so hot down here. Maybe, maybe ice. You know, maybe the stones work better in up north. Got but, it. um, but they don't work at all here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it melts. I'm melting right now inside at nine, ten o'clock in the morning. So, that's the ice cube pitch. Um, here's my micronauts. Um, so. Micronauts was was my is my favorite stuff, man. It was it, you know, and, and when I was a kid, the Micronaut toys um, was far more interested in Micronauts than Star Wars. For children with imagination, the world of the Micronauts: spacemen, robots, vehicles, some with magnets, some with batteries, and all with interchangeable parts, so your child can create dozens of different toys. And when Micronauts start a child's imagination working, he can create just about anything. Toys that climb, toys that spin, toys the series, that the, the Marvel series by uh, Bill Mantleo and Michael Golden um, was, was my favorite comic books ever produced. If you go back, and, I, and they stand the test of time. I go back and reread the first 12. It's, they're great. And I, and I think that if they would have made a movie based on that first 12 arc, it would be... Uh, it would be spectacular. Uh, y'all, hmm. people are gonna think I'm crazy, but I think a Micronaut movie done right would be better than a Star Wars movie. Um, Whoa! I, I know. I know. There's some bold words. <laughs> uh, look, that's my fantasy world, and and this is why I'm so pissed off. J.J. Um, <laughs> Abrams has been having the rights to Micronauts for some time now, and been you know in development for a long time. The writers of Zombieland have been attached for the past couple of years. I think since maybe 2011. Now, the recent development that, that I've just just read over the, over the past week is that uh, they are still working on a movie. It's still in development. Scripts have been written, and the scripts are hilarious. <laughs> That's the word, <laughs> hilarious. Um, it departs wildly from the comic book. That, that nauseates me. That's, that's horrible. <laughs> oh. um, I, um, it's like telling Aaron Myers that Rom is a robot. It, it's um, it's a crusher. Oh, them's fighting words. Yeah, no, I, he's not a robot. I, I feel for Aaron with that. Um, it, it's epic. It's not. It's not hilarious. Yeah. He wanted Star Wars. He's getting Spaceballs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Right, you feel the pain, like right? Spaceballs. <laughs> Spaceballs. <laughs> All right, now I gotta know. Now that you've disparaged Star Wars, tell us about Crew of Chewbacca's. This is this is real. I'm trying. I'm trying to get everybody excited in this. Clearly. Okay, so let me put my serious face on. Um, so Crew of Chewbacca's is um, a Mardi Gras crew that is a marching crew in New Orleans. Um, they don't. We don't use any. Uh, 
engines. It's it's just total. It's it's marching, so you can push, you can pedal. There are there are some electric motors you can use, mostly for costuming. Um, it's the the idea behind it is the, the mission statement is saving the galaxy one drunken nerd at a time. <laughs> um, the the the, the week. The actual day has varied a little bit over the past few years. It's a relatively new crew. I forget how many years, maybe five. Um, we actually had Peter Mayhew, who wow. was a Grand Marshal one year. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so to be a member of the crew is $42, which is a nod to uh, Douglas Adams' life, uh, <laughs> the universe and everything. Uh, $42 gets you in the door, uh, but you still need to make your own costume. You need to make your own quote throws which are like beads and pamphlets trinkets you know celebrating nerd culture the crew of uh chewbacca's is uh, the umbrella is separate crews and so I, i'm i'm trying to organize one called the crew of micronauts um <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm trying to rally up uh interest around the country or around the world um i got a few guys locally who are all in and we're going to be getting our costumes made up i'm going to of course, be Baron Karza. Um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. But you can have multi- we can have more than one Baron Karza. There's okay. you know no rules. But, well, there are there are three rules. There are three rules. Uh-huh. Uh, no rules except for three. <laughs> these are the three rules. <laughs> he, uh, this is you know if you can go to www.chubacus.org um, and read more about it. Um, but here are the, here are the three rules. No unicorns unless they are. Unless they have like rocket rocket thrusters attached, no elves unless they're also cyborgs, and wine bots will be airlocked in a um, the nearest black hole. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, there you go. <laughs> I met so many cool people on Twitter, and um, I think that the I think a lot of people would dig it. It's 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 part of it's you could celebrate. You know, nerd culture. You can celebrate Mardi Gras. I mean, you can. It's a it's a party. I mean, that as when the parade wraps, we meet up at a a, a warehouse. It's it's a really crazy and fun time. So when does this take place? What are the dates, Tom? Yeah, as I said, this is this is it it, it changes. Um, so it's it's usually the the weekend, the first weekend of Mardi Gras, February seventh, two thousand fifteen, at the Saturday. Eight sharp it means probably around <laughs> ten o'clock. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, we're gonna have to we're, on a future episode. You're, we're gonna have to have you, as Andrea explained, musical theater to us. You're gonna have to explain Mardi Gras to me. Yes, yes. And me. Okay. 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 So so teaser for a future episode. Mm-hmm. Tom explains Mardi Gras. Because I think <laughs> anybody outside of New Orleans has no idea. <laughs> or we all think we do, but we really have no yeah, idea. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Awesome, awesome. Andrea, what do you have for us? Uh, okay, my three are coffee ice cubes, <laughs> mashups, Whoa. and Chuck Taylors. Mm-hmm. It works like this. You get an ice cube tray. You make some coffee. You put the coffee in the ice cube tray. Boom. The next day, when you drink your cold coffee, because you put the rest of it into the fridge, right? Mm-hmm. You put those coffee ice cubes in there, and it doesn't get all watery and weird. 
That is a genius idea that it's I can't believe I haven't thought of. fucking life-changing. You are welcome. <laughs> There's an amazing little uh, coffee guy at my farmer's market who sells iced coffee with coffee ice cubes. So I just modified that instead of paying, you know, $4 for a cup and made it at home. It's crazy. It's like, how have I not thought of that? Well, no one, no I didn't think podcast. of it either. I'm just taking credit for it. And I have the these, like... Um, you know, because Tommy's into various ways of making better ice cubes. And I have to admit, I've played around with different types for the coffee ones. And I have, uh, like, these silicon cube type trays. Like, you can move them all around, and they they make total cube-shaped coffee ice cubes, and they're brilliant. So I drink a lot of coffee. And I prefer iced coffee. And so sometimes in the evening, I will make a like a couple of pots of coffee and then transfer it to the refrigerator for the next day. And I make coffee ice cubes for that get me through the next couple of days. And it's it's a brilliant system. So there you go. You can also you do that. like creamer or like flavored things if you wanted to to mm. put your coffee ice cubes in as like a flavor enhancer or whatever. But I don't do that. I just drink mine black. Excellent. Interesting. I, li- I like having the flavored ice cubes. Like you could put like a sweetener in the ice cubes and then yep. put it in black coffee. And yep. oh, sounds amazing. Yeah. Some of the creamers will freeze better than like freezing milk, which mm-hmm. is not oh. highly recommended. My second thing is the just general category of mashups in regards to music specifically. I'm I'm kind of a huge fan of these. I think they're hilarious most of the time. And when they're really well done, like um, Girl Talk, for yeah. example. <laughs> Phenomenal, right? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also... <laughs> yeah! Girl Talk. Hit me! Generals gathered in their masses. Yeah, just to tie this back to my whole like treatise on musical theater earlier, I recently came across a, I guess it's not technically a, a mashup, uh, yet that was the word that I chose. It's more of a, a song by Mika, he's a British pop performer, called Popular Song. Which samples and incorporates, and it's like it's got some mashup-y kinds of elements to it, the song Popular from Wicked, the musical. And that's my new jam this week because I'd never heard it before. It's a couple of years old, but I live under a rock. And I just think that's excellent. And I think the the appeal of mashups in general is like the surprise factor and the nostalgia or the recognition. You're like listening to one thing and then it's something else. You're like, whoa, that's awesome. And then if they're referential or meta or I don't know, I, I get it if they are especially like I especially appreciate it if there's if there's some intellectual humor with the pairing. So in this case, mashups for the win. Girl Talk is fabulous and probably like the best example of an artist who is working kind of exclusively in mashups and creating something new and wonderful from existing music. So 
Uh, my last one is Chuck Taylors because I just got a new pair of low-cut black Chucks, which is my standard. I need to break them in before San Diego Comic-Con. So I got them on my birthday three days ago and have been wearing them ever since. And compared to my last pair, which are about, oh, I don't know, four or so years old, it's it's night and day and they're not super comfortable yet. And I kind of hate them, but that's why I have to break them in. I have to get them to the point where they are just this natural extension to my feet, but without the holes and gnarliness that my old pair had. So I've been wearing the same shoes, yes, for, oh, goodness, let's call it, well, considering I have pictures of me when I was five wearing, like, the little kid version, about 30 years. Wow. Damn. Yeah, like, off and on. Sometimes I picked a different color, but I've been pretty pretty uh, faithful to just the black low cuts. My dad used to wear those. He still does to like mow the grass. And so perhaps that's where I got my style. But yeah, I so love only black, them. Only, so only well, black now. And only low cut. Oh, oh, definitely only low cut. Okay. Uh, black now. I've had green. I've had gray. I've had pink. You don't, had you don't match them with the outfit that you're wearing of the day? I, not any longer. Oh. That was a thing that I did when I was in high school, but not. Charles is so fashionable. His like yeah. his first reaction to it isn't like because he's like, hey, yes, but you have different colors to match different outfits, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Lo- I love that, yeah. Charles. I love that. I about constantly you. am thinking about how to match my shoes and my shirt. <laughs> I really reduced my shoe-ness over the past several years. I've I've got a very small number of shoes that I rotate through. Doc Martens and Chuck Taylors are pretty much it, and then a pair of flip flops. Yeah. Not particularly in the world of high maintenance, which I am well versed in, <laughs> shoes are not at the top of my list. Well, Chuck Taylors, soccer, crew of Chewbacca's, I've got to come through here, guys. I've got to give my three, and they've got to live up to the awesomeness that you guys uh, have brought so far. So, Yeah, can you change lives with coffee ice cubes, Keith? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Think- I don't think I can. I can't. And I don't have weird, spherical ice cubes. None of us on this podcast like dilution. Everyone's <laughs> against it. We're all, it's pure, straight cut. None, no, don't cut my, don't cut my ice cubes, man. Don't cut them. Don't I cut love my the, there's ice cube theme here. <laughs> yeah, ice cubes, musical theater, and soccer. Everybody's going to listen to this. All right. So here's what I got for you. Two or three of mine are lifestyle choices, which I'll get to in a minute. But first, I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Mark Herney, who lent me this very nice microphone that I'm talking into as we record today, and he inspired my first pick. Mark had me over for some expensive scotch, some moderately priced salty snacks, and some Vermont craft brew to watch a movie called Sorcerer. This is a movie you guys know. Have you ever heard of Sorcerer? No. I'm very intrigued, though, because it sounds like it's up my alley. It is, it is up your alley. It is directed by William, or as I call him, Billy Friedkin. Yeah. Sorcerer is out now. It's fully restored on a Blu-ray edition, and it's what audio video dorks refer to as reference. In other words, this is the movie you show to people who say, what's the deal with Blu-ray? That's my very bad <laughs> Seinfeld uh, impression. Um, so Sorcerer came out in 1977, and here's how it connects back to Tom. Holy shit, the year I was born. It came back, came out in 77, and it was a box office failure. It flopped because 
of it a little movie torture. called Star Wars. Oh. After Star Wars, everybody wanted space pictures with effeminate robots and moisture farmers. And they were not interested in movies about down-on-their-luck losers driving trucks filled with nitroglycerin through the jungle. The movie stars Chief Brody himself, Roy Scheider, and a bunch of that guys. Um, Sorcerer is what's called, what, what, what we uh, movie snobs refer to as pure cinema. Uh, there is very little dialogue. It's all up on the screen. The images tell the story. Um, Sorcerer is based on, now I'm really going to get uh, really nerdy and very uh, movie snobby. Uh, so ready? Three, two, one. Sorcerer was based off of Wages of Fear by Georges Clouseau, uh, which came out in 1955. Um, the 77 version is William Friedkin at his freaking best. Um, this is, he's <laughs> testing the limits, um, and he has the stones to even make a movie like this. So basically, in Friedkin's um, au, au, au revoir, uh, his filmography, you've got French Connection, Exorcist, and Sorcerer. That's that's three. That's a good run of three. Probably one of the best um, out there. Um, if you've seen Herzog's Fitzcarraldo, yes, Sorcerer right. is similar but less German, um, and it has a fantastic, <laughs> sarcastic, unsentimental, open-ended ending, which I absolutely love in oh, wow. uh, 70s cinema. So cool. very, very open, very open. Um, huh. Watch Sorcerer for no other reason because it's real and it's not a bunch of special effects created in a computer. The, the scene that is referenced, it's on the movie box art, it's on everything, is this scene where they have to drive a two-ton truck over a rope bridge. Mm -hmm. um, so as you're watching it, you are on the edge of your seat because you're just like, oh, my God, even though you're watching a movie. Um, and it was all done with practical effects and shot on location. So nothing digital about this. Just absolutely perfect. So yay, sorcerer. Yay, physical media. You didn't mention the soundtrack is by Tangerine Dream. I know. Tangerine Dream <laughs> also uh, did the soundtrack to Legend, which I know yeah. some people on this uh, on this uh, podcast also like. So that's my number one. Yes, Tangerine Dream. The soundtrack is Wicked 70, as we say. Right on. Yeah, Wicked. My number two, uh, since we are recording this on the summer solstice, I've got two summery things uh, to do, which here in the Northeast we call summer two months of bad sledding. Um, the first thing is reading. Uh, I've been going through my bookshelves and my long boxes and picking out either um, series uh, or arcs that I need to catch up on, like The Massive, True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, Change, mm -hmm. and um, or graphic novels that have been sitting on my shelf for too long. Matt Kent's Red Handed is right at the top of there. So um, good. I've also been reading a book called If on a Winter's Night, A Traveler by Italio Calvino. If on a winter's night, a traveler uh, starts with the line, you are reading Italio Calvino's If on a winter's night, a traveler. <laughs> so you write like things written in the second person that are totally, <laughs> totally weird and um, just odd. I, I'm your guy. Um, so the other thing that uh, but here's another book uh, that I am going to uh, uh, suggest one without images um, that I'll recommend. It's called Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Now, it sounds like a legal thriller. Do you guys know this book by any chance? No. Okay. No, no. Um, so Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Um, it's actually it's a science fiction novel. So I wrote down the jacket copy real quick. Um, a stunning space opera that asks what it means to be human in a universe guided by artificial intelligence. 
On a remote, icy planet, a soldier known as Breck is drawing closer to completing her quest. Breck is both more than she seems and less than she was. Years ago, she was the Justice of Torin, a colossal starship with artificial intelligence linking what? thousands of soldiers in the service to Radak, the empire that conquered the galaxy. An act Jeez. of treachery has ripped it all away, leaving her with only one fragile human body and only one purpose, revenge. So my other thing and my last thing uh, to bring us out here is uh, something you can only do in a car. You guys all drive. I know some of you have better public transportation. We have none in Vermont. So mm-hmm. um, everyone drives, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So you can do this in a car. And I am talking about putting the windows down and turning the volume all the way to the right and nice. blasting your favorite music. I had the windows down and I had the new pornographers, electric version on the CD player. And I did not care who knew it. Electric version came out in uh, 2003. Yeah, Nico Case, Vermont's own, a hook every three seconds, um, and a perfect album for driving around with the windows down. Um, I would also suggest uh, the Detroit Cobras, the Flaming Lips, yes, Neutral Milk Hotel, and a, a song that uh, my kids actually love that it's, it's as gangster as a 40-year-old white man can get, I suppose. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a song called The Hop by Radio <laughs> Citizen. Featuring Baca. Those are my three kids. Those are great. Well, the Detroit heavy threes, man. The Ask Pocket of Whiskey podcast is on Twitter at AP Whiskey. You can follow me, Keith Silva, at Keith P.M. Silva. Follow Tom at Victor Von Zoom. Charles at Charles underscore 77. And our delightful guest star and the reason you tuned in, Andrea Schock, who is on at Andrea Schock on Twitter. Thanks to our sponsors, Matt Baum's World of Boom and Meyer's Home for Wayward Comics. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. Give yourselves a round of applause. Yay, yay me. And thank you for listening. Enjoy every single day.